Hello and welcome to the week 13 episode of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Zamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Finally, some positive news for the Jets. A 21-14 win over the Texans. First road win for Robert Sala. Also a road win in which they overcame a double-digit deficit. No easy task. In fact, the last time that happened was December 2018 when Sam Darnold, in his first game back from a foot injury, rallied the Jets against the Bills. That sparked a late-season upswing for Darnold, which leads us to the question of the week. Can Zach Wilson do the same over the final six games? We'll get into Wilson and his situation, but first I want to mention in the second segment, we will be joined by former Jets linebacker extraordinaire Marvin Jones, who is now winning awards in the coaching world, and I'm sure we'll have some strong opinions about his old team. Stay tuned for that conversation in just a bit. As for Wilson, really the most important storyline left in the season. The record doesn't matter too much, but Wilson's development does People need to relax a little bit. The sense I get from some fans is they want to be done with him already, but they already know he's a bust. Really? After six full games, you know that already? He misses a month, comes back without his leading rusher and leading receiver, has a bad game in Houston, and you're ready to throw a 21-year-old kid in the dumpster? Folks, you need to chill a little bit. It's too soon to be concerned. It really is. But we're going to find out a lot more in the coming weeks. He should be able to turn the arrow upward, and here's why. The Jets do not face a top 10 passing defense over the next five games. They have the Eagles on Sunday. They're 11th. After that, the Saints, 23rd. The Dolphins, 28th. The Jaguars, 18th. The Bucks, 20th. And then it ends up with a tough one. The Bills are second. So it's a tough way to finish up in Buffalo. And the way the Bills are looking, they're going to need that game, you know, in the playoff race. But there's no excuse, none for Wilson before that. He has to show some improvement. You know, it just it just wasn't good on Sunday in Houston. He was 14 for 24, only 145 yards. He had that slapstick interception, a couple of bad sacks, the fumble out of bounds. Was it rust after missing four games? I don't think you can use that as an excuse. I mean, look, Mike White came off the bench several weeks ago in New England, having never played in his life in the NFL, and he did okay. Uh, You might be able to use the rust as a reason if it were something different for Wilson, but we saw what we saw was a continuation of a couple of troubling trends, poor starts, and too many blown layups. And let's be honest, right now, Wilson is just not a good first-half quarterback, and he knows it, and he admitted it after the game. He scolded himself for it. Early on, the game just moves a little fast for him. He doesn't see the field, and he rushes his throws. It's been a pattern all year starting week one in Carolina. So check this out. In the first and second quarter of games, he has zero touchdown passes and seven interceptions. Zero touchdown passes and seven interceptions It's the lowest completion percentage in the league, 49%. His completion percentage above expectation is 15%, minus 15%, easily the worst in the league. His off-target percentage is 28%, again, the worst in the league. Basically, one out of every three throws in the first half is off-target. Let me give you an example of a good off-target percentage. Joe Burrow, only 10%. That is best in the league. 
So, yeah, Zach Wilson's kind of a train wreck in the first half. The question is why we have to assume that he's mentally prepared for these games in terms of knowing the game plan and knowing the opponent. People around the team say his study habits are excellent. I think a lot of it's just inexperience, seeing things for the first time, getting into the rhythm of a game, figuring out an opponent's tendencies. Robert Sala said Wilson is making the right reads early in these games. It's just that he's a fraction too slow on some of the reads. Takes him a few series to get comfortable with the speed. Eventually, he settles down, and he's actually played some decent ball in the second half. Four touchdowns, three interceptions. Not great, but somewhat respectable. He has to figure out a way to solve these first-half demons And I think it's getting to him a little bit, to be quite honest. He was really candid after Sunday's game, beating himself up, admitting the frustration, saying he needs to be held accountable. Now, the the other key issue here is that he's missing too many short passes. If they're going to give you the underneath stuff, you got to connect. On Sunday, he was 11 for 19 under 10 yards. That's bad. For the season, he's at 58% on passes under 10 yards, which is next to the next to last in the league. Some perspective, the league average is 67%. So you should be hitting two-thirds of your passes under 10 yards. For instance, Mac Jones, another rookie, is at 74%. This isn't the Joe Namath era when quarterbacks could live in the 50th percentile on overall completion percentage. You have to be in the 60s, preferably 65, especially in this offense. It's all about completing the ball and and moving the chains. Wilson has no touch. He throws fastballs when changeups can do the trick. He has a really good arm. In fact, I was on the field Sunday before the game, standing about 20 feet away from Wilson as he warmed up with John Beck. And when you're standing that close, you really get an appreciation for his arm strength. The dude can throw. He's still learning how to use that arm. Now, I'd like to address his knee injury. The Jets said they wouldn't play him until he's fully healthy, but clearly that's not the case. Wilson said he tweaked his knee a couple of times in the game, later admitting it's not stable right now, but he can play through it. When he took that sack out of bounds, he admitted he should have thrown the ball away, but he said that basically his mind went blank as soon as he felt the twinge in his knee. Was he making an excuse or was he just being honest? Look, I can't get into his head, but I do know this. Those candid comments about his knee probably don't sit well with the organization. Not only did he contradict what Salah had been saying, but the players aren't supposed to be that transparent with their injuries. So I'm guessing that uh, Wilson probably got a lecture on that one. Let's let's end this little rant with this silver lining. He did win the game. Let's not forget about that. He showed toughness after the knee. I wouldn't say injury. The knee tweak went back in the game. He didn't make any ill-advised throws downfield into coverage, which represents some progress. He relied on his running game and the defense. That has to be the formula going forward. That's how they did it back in 2009 when Mark Sanchez Sanchez was a rookie. Now, granted, that team was a lot better, but that is the formula. Run the ball and avoid as many obvious dropback situations as possible. If the Jets can do that, We should get a better read on Wilson over the final six games. Our guest this week was a actually one of the most highly decorated linebackers in college football history, played at Florida State, 
In 93, he was the fourth overall pick of the New York Jets. He played with the Jets from 93 to 03, 142 games. And just recently, he won a championship in the Champions Indoor Football League with the Omaha Beef and, as a result, became the coach of the year in that league. And I'd like to welcome in our good friend, Marvin Jones. Marvin, thank you so much for taking the time. Always, always a pleasure with you. So, Marvin, tell me about this coaching thing. Congratulations on your league title. I know that happened uh, a few months ago. And talk to me about that, like uh, the kind of players you're coaching, how you got involved in that league. And, you know, obviously you must be doing something right there. You're coaching uh, champions. Yeah, well, I got involved in back in 2017 was my first indoor experience with the old uh, Colorado Crush. That was part of the uh, when John Elway used to own that team. And then I ended up going out there a year after. But I, I used to, you know, I went around. I used to coach around the college all-star games, and then one of the coaches there ended up being the head coach, and he said, "Hey, man, I, you know, you want to get in the indoor?" I said, "Okay, fine. It can't hurt. I mean, as long as I'm coaching and getting some experience and keeping my mind sharp." And so that was about 2017. So I've been an uh, interim head coach for a couple of years, and um, so this is this would have been my fifth fifth year in indoor and uh so I, I, I love I ended up going to Omaha back signing up 2018 coaching the 2019 season um had pretty much number one defense in the in the league at that time and uh became interim head coach uh, towards the end of that season in which you know we won the playoffs and then got into the northern conference championship which we lost and come back to 2020 you know we didn't have a season uh 2021 I was a full-time head coach from day one and uh and I get all kind of players you've played for some legendary coaches uh, Bobby Bowden Bill Parcells I'm wondering is there any do you take which guy had the greater influence on you in terms of your coaching style have you pulled out any things from those guys to try to you know incorporate into your coaching style I would say man I, I pretty much got pretty much a little bit of a Every coach that I pretty much played from, from Coach Bowman because he had that side of trying to have that type of relationship with players and also, you know, just talking about the mind part, the spiritual part. I mean, uh, with him, um, I mean, even Pete Carroll, I mean, Parcells, that tough side of him. You know, you, you, there's a there's a fine line. You still have to have a relationship with players even though it's business because you, you want these guys to be able to play with you play for you. I mean, obviously Pete, you know, had that type of thing. I don't know. And then I feel like he probably was too much of a, too, <laughs> too friendly, but, uh, you know, I had that bill. I think the bill Parcells side is probably the most part that makes me a lot more successful because of the simple fact that from day one, guys understand where they stand with me. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I'm straight up with them. I tell them exactly how I feel. I tell them exactly what I want, what my expectations are. And if they don't fit those expectations, I find somebody else. So I don't, you know, I don't sugarcoat it with them. I let them know that it's business. And I think that's the part with Bill had, especially with players, everybody was on the clock, man. You remember, I mean, there was a time when we, <laughs> we were on a winning streak, man. And he still had 10 guys coming in to work out every week. And that yeah. was just to keep you on your toes. So, yeah. And that's what I do. And, you know, that makes sense. I mean, people have, you have to make players uncomfortable if you want them to play better. I mean, you know, and I and that we'll we'll get to that later on. So you you didn't you didn't uh, incorporate any rich cotite into your uh, coaching philosophy, huh? No, what happened was I <laughs> let that philosophy go to a couple of other coaches in our league that won like two games. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, 
that I, I, I would say this. Uh, I think going back, looking during that those two unforgettable trying to forget years, right? Is that it, you have to know your team. That's that's what I would say. I would learn from Coach. Like, you have to know your team. Mm-hmm. Him coming from the Philadelphia Eagles, where you had twenty four superstars on the team, and a lot of older, mature guys. You don't have to really coach those guys. Those guys really knew how to tune it up for themselves and turn it up. And we had never had, I mean, technically that type of foundation. Because remember, if you go back to those days, I mean, we we spent probably. They, I mean, they broke broke the bank bringing in all these guys from other different teams that we yeah. had never played together. So we didn't know what to expect because we never set that. He never set those type of expectations for what he wanted. It was just like, okay, you know, you're a veteran, you're a veteran. You guys handle this thing however you want to. Like, this is a player's run team. Mm-hmm. And you know how player-run teams work. Mm-hmm. They don't work out very well. I right. mean, unless you came in the first year, I learned that you have to come in. You put the hammer down the first year, Learn what type of players, how the players are going to respond, what players can't handle it, what players, uh, you know, are going to step up and be the leaders and how they're going to receive it. Then in the second year, you can count, okay, I got 10 leaders on this side. And then you have to know how to have that relationship with the other players around. But if if you don't drop the hammer, you don't know how anybody, how, how anybody really is. I remember Bill Parcells when he took over and he in one of the press conferences he showed us like the the injury reports from the year before it was like this it was thick book of injury reports and he was basically saying those days are gone you know it's like you know no 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 more soft you know you know we're getting tougher here we're going to get harder and we want guys who play and so that was the message that he sent to us right away I'm sure he sent it to you as well well, absolutely, because one of the things you got to realize during those times before we had Bill Parcells, we didn't really have an off-season program. Mm-hmm. I mean, once – I mean, I mean, <laughs> pretty much most – a couple of those years, I mean, when we didn't make the playoffs, everybody was home in December. You didn't have to go back till minicamp in May, five mm-hmm. or six months later. Then after minicamp, you went home for that month, came back for training camp. So there was really no off-season program. We didn't have that stuff. Um you know, until he got there, I mean, so yeah, injury was very prevalent. And I would say that early on, that really uh, affected my career early on, not having that type of off-season program. I mean, it's, I mean, when guys go back home, I mean, I mean, come on, you, you just can't get that same intensity level unless you're out there with another 50 guys, how you know, working, feeding off each other. Uh, I mean, John, I mean, John Lott, when John Lott got there, John Lott is what changed my whole career. I mean, John Lott, I mean, working out with him, I mean, John Lott would even fly down to Florida to check on me and say, okay, well, let's get, are you in shape and work me out, see where I was at and everything? So, I mean, you had a sense of responsibility uh, up on the parcels. I remember one, <laughs> I remember one time I, because uh, uh, we had to work out Monday, Tuesdays, you had Wednesday off, Thursday, and Friday. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead on and do four days in a row. Mm-hmm. And then I'm gonna come back on Tuesday, the following Tuesday instead of Monday. And so I called, <laughs> so I called Lot. I said, "Hey, I'll be in on Tuesday." <laughs> Bill Parcells called back. He says, "Hey, man, if you don't, if you're not here for workouts today, I'm cutting you." So, <laughs> so you I got, went straight. <laughs> you got so back fast. So I went straight to the airport, man. I made it there. I got up like six o'clock, and. Uh, <laughs> 
I was I got there for probably the I mean we had we had four times to work out and I got there I think for the three thirty workout but that's just how it was man I mean you could have dinner with Bill and Mike he cut you tomorrow you yeah. know what I mean that's just how it was <laughs> that's funny. but that kept you know, but you knew where you stood and that and that was one of the things that I think that really changed that because a lot of times people you get luddy into that old pro mentality when I came in the NFL you got to remember we when I walked in the room. I remember the first time, I mean, Kyle Clifton sitting there and, you know, and I look over and I'm like, Hey coach. And he's like, Hey, I'm a player. You know what I mean? Cause he had all the gray hair. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was such a big disparity. I'm sitting in a room, I'm 21 years old and I'm sitting in a room with guys that are 28, 30, 31 years old, Ronnie Lodd. I mean, you know, Will and the Leonard Marsh, all these guys I watched up growing. So you get loaded into that old pro mentality. It's okay, well, you know, I'm just going to do just enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got to save myself. And, you know, you don't have that type of urgency. And I think that's what, you know, I think that really affected me or, or that had an effect on my career because you start thinking like those guys. And, mm-hmm. and that's not what it's going to be for you as a younger guy because me being a, you know, a fourth fourth pick of the draft, my expectations aren't the same as a lot of as free agents or mm-hmm. or, or later on guys. So yeah. I, you know, having Bill really adopted that and changed that. Because once they drafted Ferry, I was like, oh, it's no way. He ain't taking his job, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah, we had to go to 34. <laughs> 34 yeah. defense. Yeah. Well Marvin, you make a great point. I want to just segue into the current Jets. You were the fourth overall pick. You can probably relate to the the pressure and the expectations that Zach Wilson is under. Now I know it's a different position, quarterback and linebacker, but still he was the second pick in the draft. He's under tremendous scrutiny. Can you speak to, you know, going into a place like New York where everyone just expects you to walk on water as soon as you get there? Could you put yourself in his shoes for a second and what might the pressure he might be feeling? Absolutely. I think that is definitely tough for him because like I always tell everybody, when you play for the Jets, you're paying for the whole history of the team. You're not just, you know, not just like this is a new start. It's like immediately when, when you don't have success, they automatically go back to same old, you know, that old saying, the same old Jets. They group you into that. And Zach Wilson, absolutely coming in as a court. I mean, you got to look, you coming in after um, uh, Sam Donald, who was a, Sam Donald coming in. Now it's like, okay, now we finally got it right. And this is the guy we want. This is the guy we want. And they bring him in. And then the expectation don't turn out because New York, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like we have this like savior mentality in the fan base. Like you bring in this one guy, he's going to change a lot of things. And that's just not, that's just not true. And it's just not happening. I mean, I mean, and you know, and plus, I mean, you you have one wonder guy in the whole history of the Jets, and that's Joe Namath. So you always gonna people always at the quarterbacking position are always looking back at how great of a, of a player Joe Namath was. So you're still living up on that because he's the last guy that won a Super Bowl. He's the only right. guy that quarterback to win a Super Bowl. So I mean, I feel for him in some ways. I, I wish I wish the NFL was a little different. In some ways, today for guys like him, when I first got in, you had a whole year to sit, mm-hmm. to learn, and, and and be tutored by you know a, a good veteran guy. I mean, but obviously it's limited now. I mean, it's just not. I mean, you know, my days. I mean, hell, every. I mean, every conference you were in, you had all the famous. Every every guys during my first few years are pretty much all these Hall of Fame guys. 
you know, so they were able to teach and work with these guys, but they don't have it no more. They throw these guys in the fire, man, and it and it, it, it does something to a lot of their confidence. Yeah. And, and it's like you almost kill a guy, you know, especially a rookie guy, and it's hard to bounce back from him. And the only thing that's going to, you know, kind of correct that is a lot of time they have to go to another team. Mm. I mean, you look at look at Sam Donald, same thing. You get thrown in. I mean, he had a fortunate of, of, of being in that kind of net and almost in the same uh, uh, situation. But look what it did. I mean, it, it, it hurt him. I mean, it hurts these guys, and it's hard to recover from that. I mean, you got to realize this, quarterbacks have a fragile ego. <laughs> <laughs> they do? <laughs> well, they have a big ego, but it's, it's, it's fragile. Yeah. You know, that, you know, I mean, you, you, I mean, you're looking at somebody saying this is the franchise quarterback. Yeah. You, you, you know, not everybody's going to turn into a franchise quarterback, but at the same time, you know, you come in, you know, you got, you got to put the pieces around them. And I always tell people, uh, I don't look at, you know, I just use that example. I don't look at Tom Brady as the. When I look at Tom Brady, I don't say he's the goat for the reason that most people say he's the goat. I look at Tom Brady being the goat because Tom Brady was smart. He made sure he didn't break the salary cap. He knew mm. he needed players around him to help him win, right. and he never wanted to be the, never was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. He didn't care about all that because he needed those guys around him to make him successful. He understood that, and if you look at every quarterback that has done that ever since, man, the next year. Uh, they it falls off because you can't get other players. Look at Kansas City, the same thing. Joe Flacco in Baltimore. I mean, it happens to a lot of these guys, and you yeah. have to know what's important. That's why I think Tom Brady's a goat. He was smart in that sense. But I think Zach Wilson, you know, it, it's going to be tough. What do, you th- what do you think of him? I mean, what do you think so far? I mean, you watch these. I know you watch these games. Well, you know what? It's hard to really get a gauge a lot of times because – uh, you know, quarterbacks like him, I mean, you know, he's a good quarterback coming in to the league. I mean, they're going to show spurts mm-hmm. of, of, of good things, you know, but it, they, it's going to be hard for them a lot of times to put everything together. You know, I, I haven't seen that complete game because I don't really think he has all the pieces to be a, to be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, at being consistent. I mean, I mean, the Jets have had some injuries. Yeah. I mean. I mean, you know, I mean, and it's it, it's it's difficult. I mean, if, you know, if you don't have that starting five every week on the line, like some of these teams have been able to been fortunate to have for that good five. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I mean, him for to get comfortable back there. I mean, you're never gonna really see the the the, the real Zach Wilson until you had that happen. Yeah, let's talk defense because that's that's your uh, that's in your wheelhouse. Marvin, they went through a four-game stretch where they gave up 175 points. That is like – it's like one of the worst in NFL history as a defensive guy, as a linebacker, as a Butkus award-winning linebacker. You're watching this happen, and, like, what's going through your mind watching your old team just get shredded like that? Well, you know what? It's, it's disappointing in some ways because as defense is the easiest part of a team. I mean, de- de- I mean, to, de- that generally ahead because you don't. I mean, all you need is a bunch of tough guys that have a mentality that they want to go out, and tackle, hit somebody, and stop people. Um, and, and when you don't have that, man, it's very demoralizing. I mean, when you're getting ran through like that, I mean, it, 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 it it's difficult to watch. I mean, I, I've watched some of it, and it's just, um, 
you know, I've, I've played on some bad teams record-wise with the Jets, but I could say that I've never been on a defense that I felt like kind of in some ways gave up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go back from 95 to 96, our worst records during my tenure there, but mm-hmm. we still played some good defense. We just didn't have that complete team, per right. se. But, but, I mean, we, we, we didn't give up, but I feel like now, nah, I mean, they don't really – they don't have any identity at mm-hmm. all. I mean, you don't know – what's going to show up, you yeah. know, on Sundays. And that, and that's tough for a coach because how do you gauge, you know, those four games? I mean, what do you fix? <laughs> Where do you start? I mean, yeah. hell, if, we, if we're not tackling, it doesn't matter whether I got the best game plan there is. I mean, you know, if you don't have an attitude in, in that fortitude that you're going to go out and, 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 and like I said, that's generally what most teams, most losing teams generally have a decent defense. It's generally a lot of times the offense. Yeah. You know, that, that, that I mean, but you got to have guys out there. When you don't see guys out there nailing guys, you know, you got blown coverages, a lot of missed tackles and stuff like that. To me, that's just a lot of guys. Sometimes they don't care. And I think, you know, I'm not, I'm going to say this, that I think over the years, New York just really hasn't had players that truly want to play for the New York or be true New York Jets. I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, people came to the Jets because they wanted the big payday. Right. I mean, and they don't really, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I can look over the years, the last few years, we've had a lot of guys come in and I got big paydays, never played, never put, you know, played games, uh, you well, know, they, I mean, you go go back to even what's his name? I forget. Uh, well, they brought Bell. Le'Veon Bell, Tremaine Johnson, the cornerback. They gave him a fortune. You know, he really didn't do anything. They brought Revis back a second time. They gave him a fortune. He wasn't even close to what he was the first time. Right, and I think that's one of the things. It seems like we get guys that are looking for a payday rather than guys that really want to be Jets. It's like, hey, yeah. I want to get paid, so I'm going to go to the Jets. But when we had that last player that's entrenched, that that's that Jet guy, and I think probably the last guy we had like that probably was, um, what linebacker what was it? David David Harris. David Harris, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's probably like the last guy I look at like that was entrenched in being a Jet. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. But in fairness to the Jet, these guys are so young on defense. They're they're all rookies and second year guys. They're selling this rebuilding program. Are you buying it? I mean, are you a believer in it? I, I would say this, Rich. I don't care about youth. You're getting paid to do a job. Mm. At the end of the day, it don't matter. I was a 21-year-old rookie, got thrown in the fire. Hell, I still went out there and had to play and make tackles and, and, and things that I don't I don't buy into that. You're being paid. This ain't college. It's not college where you're in a freshman year where people go, oh, that's just a freshman. You're getting paid to do a job. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to go with that. There's no excuse why you shouldn't be as a professional that, that's able to read a defense, being able to understand the defense, being able to go out and tackle. Tackling is fundamentally part of You can't do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like trying to live without being able to breathe. I mean, right. it just, it's part of the game. Right. And, and, that's, and, and to me, that 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 was makes it even more tough. That when you got a bunch of rookies, they ought to be hungry as hell to mm-hmm. want to tackle. They ought to be hungry because guess what? In a rebuilding phase, guess what's going to happen next year at the end of the season? 
a lot of y'all going to be gone. Yeah, they're going to replace those guys with, you know, with other younger guys or maybe even some veterans this time, you know. Right. So you should be hungry when you're young like that as a first-year guy. I got to prove myself. And that's one of the things that coaches want to see as a coach is when you're down and when you're going through a tough time, especially on defense, who's the guy on defense that's not going to quit? Who's that guy that's going to still tackle every game, going to go out and give a 1,000%? And right now you're in evaluation phase now. Mm-hmm. Oh, for, yeah. For next season. I mean, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we've been in that mode for a few years. <laughs> it's it's been is, is it tough, Marvin? I mean, it's been this will be the eleventh year in a row the Jets have not made the playoffs. Um, I I know I know you root for them deep down. You want to see them do well. Is that tough on you? You know, and you and some of the other former players just to see that that eleven eleven year drought. Well, absolutely, man. You got to look, Rich, man. Uh, um, it's been very tough for me the last few years, man. I, I I played for Florida State and I went to the Jets, man. It, it's been tough. It, yeah. It's been tough. But it's like, you know, it's like it's it's been tough because, I mean, you know, it's like how you start off. It's like it's like we don't give ourselves a chance. It's like. You know, it's like the things go wrong. I mean, it's like coming into this year, okay, bam, we got a new quarterback. And all of a sudden, man, those injuries, guys start dropping. Every practice, guys are dropping and dropping. And it's like you get into that thing like, man, you know, if something's bad going to happen or just something that's going to happen for the first time ever, you know, it's going to happen to us. And it's kind of like, seem like it's, you know, it's kind of like a trend, but um you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough, man, because right, I think right after a couple of years when Rex was there, I was like, man, it, it, you know, our franchise is about to make a turn and we're going to stop being, you know, quoted by some people as the laughing stock of the league. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, we, you know, after we, we had those good years where everybody was so excited, man, it's just like it just, whoop, it just went off on a slump. Um, ever since then and yeah and it's very disappointing because obviously I spent 11 years there and you know my heart and soul and everything went into that team and the organization and stuff like I gave them everything I damn had um you know but it's tough for me because I also you know for Mr. Johnson knowing him and being around him and during those days man I mean he loved when we won Mm -hmm. I mean he loved that stuff and you know it's you know it's kind of I mean, I feel bad for him in many ways because, you know, when he first bought the team, man, we we turned some things around. I mean, it yeah. was, you know, and to see where that has came now, I know he's really kind of maybe, you know, disappointed. But, I, I mean, I, I definitely want them to win for all the fans and everything. But, you know, Mr. Johnson, you know, I know he, he loves to win. So, Well, we'll see. It obviously is not going to happen this year. The Jets are just going to try to pl- play out the string and try to get uh, – to see if they can oh, build on last week's win and, and see what they can take this. And, they, you know, they have a lot of draft picks. You know, they have two – they could have two top five picks in the uh, – in next year's draft. Maybe they'll draft another Marvin Jones. They need a linebacker. Um, maybe, in, maybe in four years they'll draft Marvin Jones Jr., who's uh, – your son is a highly recruited player. Well, we'll, 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 we'll wait on wait on that. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll call you in three years. We'll talk about it. But uh, Marvin, thank you so much for joining the uh, podcast this week. And uh, can't thank you enough. Congratulations again on your championship, on your coach of the year award. And uh, look forward to seeing you maybe at a, at a game sometime soon. 
All right, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on as always, man. My number one reporter. Love you, bro. It's Twitter time. Jets questions lined up here. We've got some good ones. And we're starting off with at Komarowski Rob. He asks the question, Rich, do you see Joe Douglas making a major trade this offseason similar to Buffalo acquiring Stephon Diggs due to one, the number of draft picks and two, the team being close enough to compete or may that type of trade be coming in 2023? This is a really good question by Como. Joe, Joe Douglas has never made that kind of trade. All the trades he's made, and he's made many, I think it's about 15, by the way, it's all dealing away assets and stockpiling for the future. He has not made any blockbusters with talent coming his way. And I think it's more apt to happen in 2023, simply because I think when he looks at this rebuilding plan, he sees the window, the the so-called playoff, slash championship window as starting in 2023. So I think he's going to use all his draft assets coming up in the spring, the two ones, the two twos. Uh, I think he's going to use them for draft picks. Now, there's always a chance they change the plan. If they see something really attractive coming along, like, say, a talented player who maybe has worn out his welcome in another place, a player that comes to mind is uh, Jeff Akuda. The cornerback from Detroit, a very high draft pick a couple of years ago, really hasn't done much. He's been injured, but still a talented player. Obviously, a position of need for the Jets. You know, if a player of that ilk became available, maybe they make that kind of trade. But in terms of going for the proverbial missing piece, I think that is more 2023. Next question from at Brendan 00190904. The question is. Uh, a lot has been said about LaFleur, Ulbrich, and Boyer this year. What have you seen from the assistant coaches? Well, well, Brendan, kind of a mixed bag. I think Mike LaFleur is really impressed the last few weeks after a brutal start, and I really like what he did on Sunday. You know, Wilson got off to a really rough start. He changed up the offense a little bit, some safe plays, and he got Wilson comfortable. I think that was key. I think offensive line coach John Benton was a big factor in the game planning, the run game this week, and he got a shout-out from Sala. So I like what Lafleur has been doing. Ulbrich, look, he's got the youngest defense in the league. I think he's integrated players like Quincy Williams and Elijah Riley on the fly, which is a positive. And, you know, they play well against poor offensive lines. Every other situation, they struggle. There's a lot of mental errors. So my jury is still out on Ulbrich. As for Boyer, you guys know from listening to this podcast for a couple of years, I think he's a really good special teams coach, but I don't think he's having a good year. The Jets have 15 penalties on special teams. Only Houston and Atlanta have more. So not a great year for Brant Boyer. Next one from at Dennis K. Harris. Can we all agree that the trade for Flacco was a mistake? Unvaxxed and unavailable. It seems like Joe Douglas made his first real blunder. Uh, Dennis, this would have been a really good move in March. To me, in my opinion, it's a little too little too late and a little too much baggage. And you're right. He's been unavailable indirectly or directly because of COVID for three out of the five games that he's been on the team. Uh, at Bones Con, has Quincy Williams played himself into the Jets' long-term plans? Let me tell you, Quincy Williams is one of the most explosive linebackers I've seen with the Jets in a while. He is so sudden 
the way he can shoot a gap. He just has tremendous closing speed. The sense I get is that he's not great with the nuances of the position and the X's and O's technique-wise, but I think he's earned a role at, at least as a nickel linebacker next year. He is under contract in 22, so he will be back. He's, of course, making a minimum salary, so he will be back, and I do think he has a chance to grow into a long-term role. Next one, at Seriously Sports, if Wilson continues to play poorly the rest of the year, how how realistic is it for the Jets to pull a Cardinals-type trade and draft another quarterback in the first round? Seriously, Seriously Sports, I don't think that's going to happen. Joe Douglas, I mean, the Jets are just, they're not giving up on Zach Wilson after one year. I do know this. I know Joe Douglas was really impressed with Steve Kime, the Arizona GM, and the, in the situation you alluded to, you know, dumping Josh Rosen after a year and drafting Kyler Murray. I, I know Douglas has an admiration for that. That took a lot of onions to pull that off. But like I said, the Jets are not getting giving up on Wilson. And there's two other smaller reasons. Number, number two, there's a big difference between the cap hit in the number two pick and the number 10 pick. So that's another reason they wouldn't move Wilson after one year. And also there's no Kyler Murray in the 22 draft. So for all those reasons, not going to happen at boy green 25. How important is it for the jets to add another wide receiver this off season? And who are some players that they could be dreaming about to add to this unit? Uh, most definitely they have to add a wide receiver, uh, look, they got Elijah Moore and Corey Davis back next year. That's a good place to start. But Crowder, Cole, and Berrios are going to be free agents. Not sure any of those guys will be back. Me, I would bring back Berrios on a, on a team-friendly contract. He's, he can fill a lot of different roles. Now, the key question, what are they going to do with Denzel Mims? He's going to be active this week. He will return to practice after a long stay on the COVID list. I do not think he will be back. I think if it were up to the personnel department, he would, but I don't think the coaching staff wants him back, and I think ultimately you'll see him get traded. In terms of replacements, it's always a good receiver draft, and then free agents, veteran free agents, Chris Godwin, Christian Kirk, Michael Gallup, among the guys that I think the Jets would be intrigued with. And our last question comes from at NFL Anguish, and I funny on his avatar, he has photos of the Raiders and Jets, Perhaps uh, a reference to his anguish there. Uh, Rich, do you feel uh, now? No, this is kind of more of a uh, a personal question here about covering the Jets, but I'm going to use it. I like the question. Do you feel you cover the Jets in a neutral way or has the burden of covering a team that is so bad every year made you a little bitter, like fed up? I'm not being a smart ass. I'm honestly curious what it's like to have to report on failure year in and year out. It's a fair question. I don't think I'm bitter. I think, am I a little more cynical from having covered the Jets so long and seeing so much losing? Yes, I think that would be a fair statement. I'm more cynical. I've seen a lot of grand plans and great acquisitions, so-called great acquisitions, just bottom out over the years. So maybe I'm more cynical than most because I've just seen so much failure, like you said. But no, not bitter, certainly not fed up. Uh, And I, I respect the question. But uh, I hope I'm not conveying that in the way I cover the team. I'm certainly not bitter or fed up. I cover the team like I normally would, whether they're good or bad. As sports writers, we're selfish. Every sports writer will tell you the same thing. We're always looking for the best story. 
this past Sunday. I was actually happy the Jets won for Houston because against Houston because that was the best story. Just to break the losing streak, get some positive vibes around the team, makes our job a little more, more pleasant. So I was actually happy they won that game and made for a good story. And that's what we're looking for ultimately is a good story. So it's Jets-Eagles on Sunday. This is one of the strangest, well, you can't call it a rivalry. They don't play that often, but it's one of the strangest matchups in NFL history. Checked it. The Jets are 0-11 lifetime against the Eagles. The That 11-0 mark for the Eagles is the best record by a team against an opponent in NFL history. NFL history. Uh, In fact, among the active franchisers, there's only two other cases of teams being 5-0 or better against a single opponent. Uh, The Eagles actually are 5-0 against the Texans, and the Vikings are 5-0 against the Texans. But Eagles 11-0 against the Jets. This is just... This is just crazy. The first game, which, by the way, I did not cover, contrary to popular belief, was in 1973. The Jets blew a 17-0 lead at the Vet. Maybe that cursed it and jinxed the entire series between these two teams. 1993, the Jets blew a 21-0 lead. Boomer Esiason gets picked off by Eric Allen in the fourth quarter. A 94-yard interception return for a touchdown. 1996, Rich Kotite is the coach. They blow a 10-0 lead. In 2003, one of the dumbest quarterback decisions ever This one by Herm Edwards. He starts Vinny Testaverde in Philadelphia and had it predetermined that he was going to bench him at halftime and then bring in Chad Pennington, who was coming off a long injury layoff. It backfires and they lose. 2011 in Philly, they get absolutely smoked. Santonio Holmes scores a touchdown. It was already a runaway, and he celebrates with him mocking the eagle, flapping his wings like an eagle. He pissed off his teammates. He pissed off the eagles. Just an embarrassing day. And, of course, in 2019 in Philadelphia, the Jets lose 31-6. The uh, Luke Falk debacle, they barely get over 100 yards. And so you add it up, it's 0-11, call it quirky. Call it a curse, call it a jinx, call it whatever, but it's just weird. And this weekend, sorry, I think it's going to go to 0-12 for the Jets. The Eagles, they're still alive in this playoff race. They still have some reason to hope. As long as Jalen Hurts is healthy, there's been some talk about a sore ankle. As long as he's reasonably healthy and can play, I think the Eagles are going to win this game and the curse will live. I want to thank Marvin Jones, the former Jet linebacker, for joining us this week. And we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.